morning, everybody. I am excited about uh, what's going on in East Point and excited about those who uh, took the step of public uh, declaration of their faith today and getting baptized in water. What a gift they gave to us. And uh, I got choked up. I mean, I love watching all of them get dunked, but I don't know if you know, but that was Pastor Jeff's son that he got to dunk. That's, well, that's the little boy that he kissed on. The, it's like, man, I, just, I lost it. So how cool is that? Lots of special gifts, and I appreciate the gifts that you guys gave to us in celebrating this with uh, us today. Uh, about a couple weeks ago, I got another sort of gift. I got an email from a guy that I know. His name's Lance. And uh, back in 2009, he was at our Christmas Eve services. And on that Christmas Eve, uh, some of you were here, and you remember, we gave out these little bracelets that were pretty popular at the time. And it, uh, it's imprinted. You can't see it, but it says joy on it. And we gave them out to everybody just so that they could have something to remind them that joy is not found in our circumstances, it's found in a Savior. And uh, we talked about joy that day and gave him uh, those bracelets just as a walkout gift. Well, I said a couple weeks ago, he wrote me and said, you know, I've, my, my bracelet just broken. Lance, I think you're here in this service. Come up to me, buddy. You can have this one. But uh, he, said, my bra- I've been, he said, I never took it off. And I had all these opportunities to explain to people why I wore that and, and what it meant to me. And he wrote this really cool poem. That, uh, you know, it's just because we can, and it's Christmas, and it's about joy. I have a very special friend that I'm going to have uh, come up and read this poem to us. Macy, would you come on up and read this for us? Let's give it up for Macy. One Christmas Eve service at church I was given. A small, simple bracelet on it. The word joy was written. At the time, it was just a small, simple token to remind us of the words that were that day spoken. The theme of the service and sermon was joy. The joy of the three kings as they gazed at the boy. The joy of the virgin as she cradled her son. The joy of the poor shepherds as they beheld the one. As the preacher spoke, I gazed down at this gift. My mind started to wander. My thoughts went adrift. I wanted to know what joy meant to me. And not simple pleasures, but true joy, you see. The type of joy that lifts spirit and soul. The incredible sort that makes one lose all control. But how can the true joy of Christmas be found? To answer this question, I looked all around. I glanced at the people attending church on that night, their faces softly lit by the Christmas candlelight. Maybe these folks hold the key to my question, and looking around, I got the impression, to some, Christmas joy meant receiving a gift. Though the wise know the giving is what makes the heart lift. To some, it's about being around family and friends and setting eyes upon the face of a loved one again. For some, it's a tree with its lights all aglow. For others, it's a soft fall. For others, it's the falling of the soft winter snow. It could be the carolers with their holiday singing. It could be the sleighs with their bells all ringing. But aren't these all simply just worldly treasures? And doesn't the Bible say only through Christ will find pleasure? So I looked so much deeper inside my own heart to see if there's wisdom my soul could impart. I thought very hard till I started to see how the birth of our Jesus brought joy to me. I thought of his life and the people he saved. I thought of myself and how he forgave. For I made so many selfishly foolish mistakes, but I am just a sinner who's been saved by his grace. I thought of the people whose lives have been touched by the phrase, Jesus loves me so very, very much. I thought of how we were called to bring others to him so that he could also save them from their sins. I thought of the troubles that make some people sad and how he speaks to the heart. It's really not that bad because he gave us hope and expectancy, but most of all love, and now we are free. Free from hate, free from sin, free from fear, free from pain, free to cry out to Jesus again and again, free to run, free to dance, free to live life for him, 
free to live life for him, free to tell the whole world I've been saved from my sins. I had searched my heart to find true joy that day, and joy had one more hand I wanted to play. As I looked in my heart, I was suddenly aware that Jesus himself was living there. I realized just then that true joy doesn't suspend. When Christmas Day comes to its wintry end, every person in church had been given a bracelet that day, and as we left for the evening, many threw theirs away. But though it's been so many years gone, there's never a moment I don't have mine on. For the joy that I found is a joy that abounds, and the joy that I found lasts the entire year round. Amen. Thank you, Mason. She'd be embarrassed if I said this, but the truth is I've watched that little one grow up from the time she was this tall, and, and uh, thank you, Macy, for doing that to remind us of what joy is all about. Thank you, Lance, as well. Never underestimate the impact of just one word and even one service, a Christmas Eve service, and a simple thing like this that, that made an impact on a guy's life and the ripple effect from that uh, as, as uh, he got to share about it with others. And that's why we keep encouraging you to invite people to come to our Christmas Eve services and to take extra flyers that are available and ask them to come because one service can change a life forever and it can impact people. So please help us invite and bring, bring or include us so they can come and hear about joy. You can see this up behind me. We are not going to do a serious, sad, tear-jerking Christmas Eve. This one's going to be fun and lots of, of fun, so I encourage you to come back. Well, today we're going to focus on another simple and yet powerful word, and that word is peace. And it's a, a word that's found often in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. And from the very beginning of Jesus' story, peace was declared. In fact, the angels declared in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men and women. But peace to all men and women on whom his favor rests. From the night of his birth, peace was declared. And the point I think God wanted us to get from the very beginning is that Jesus came so that we could have peace. Peace in our relationship with God, in our, the, the potential of being restored to relationship with him by faith in Jesus Christ could bring peace to us and the peace between us and him. Peace in our relationships with one another. That the very fact that we have Jesus in our hearts and we have him forming and shaping and molding our character means that we can actually experience a measure of peace in our relationships that would not humanly be possible. And then, of course, he came to give us inner peace as well. Peace of soul, peace of heart, peace of mind. But the question I want to ask you today, and I want us to work through, is, is peace easy? Is peace easy? I said that Jesus came to pay the sacrifice for us and to make peace possible in our relationship with God. And he did that by dying for you and me on the cross. Was that easy? No, not at all. In fact, great agony, uh, he went to the cross. And the most horrific death a man could suffer, uh, Jesus suffered for you and for me. He made it possible, but that peace was not easy. Is peace easy in our relationships with each other? No, I don't think so. Yeah, generally not so much. It's a challenge for us to, to be in unity, to die to ourselves, to honor one another, to put others before our own needs and our own selfish wants. It's not easy to experience peace in our relationships with each other. And I don't think in the crazy world we live in that inner peace comes easily either. I think it's a struggle. It's not just a piece of cake for any of us. It's something we have to work at. I've had well-meaning Christians say to me from time to time, Well, brother, just cast your care upon the Lord and you'll have peace. And they're quoting 1 Peter 5, verse 7. And it's a verse that I'm well aware of and one that I've used. And I know they mean well. But my, think, my thinking, my view of this is when I hear quick and easy answers to real and difficult struggles that I'm in, uh, I, I, I want to cast something, but it's them. I want to cast them over a cliff somewhere 
And it's not, listen, it's not because I don't believe in the power of the scriptures, the power of that truth. Yes, 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 cast your cares on the Lord. Certainly that is a huge part of being able to walk and live in peace. But my contention is, and I reject the notion that peace is always easy. That peace just is, is, is just something that's not that big a deal. I think we have to work at it. In fact, I think finding and staying in peace requires a lot more from us than just some predetermined method or some canned approach. I think it requires a lot. And so what I'm not going to give you today are three easy steps to discovering peace in your life. That is not going to come from my lips because I don't believe it is easy. I don't think there is any canned method. But saying that, I, I want you to get this. Listen carefully. I do want to encourage you to develop a way of life. I don't think peace is easy. I don't think there's a canned method or some simple, easy approach to discovering and having peace in your life. But I do believe that we can develop a way of life that we can learn to practice some things and put some things in place in our experience, in our lives, a way of life that will provide the soil for peace to grow, that will provide the place for peace to be developed and maintained in our life. How do you grow in peace when you have all these known struggles and issues in your life? How do you grow in peace when you're worried about the unknown struggles and things you haven't even seen yet? How do you grow in peace when you're alone? Now, my mom and my uh, aunt will be alone this Christmas for the first time. My aunt was married to my Uncle Don for over 50 years. First time in 50 years she'll be alone without my uncle because he passed away. That's hard. If you're alone, it's tough. It's hard to face that. How do you maintain peace in the midst of a crazy and chaotic season? Uh, this time of year is supposed to be filled with joy and peace and celebration, and, and uh, yet everything I read tells me that for most people, it's one of the most chaotic and distressful times of the year. Been to the mall recently, you know, and, it, and driving in and getting out, and, and it, we experience the stress in a time that, it, that should be just the opposite. How do you find peace in a season like this? How do you find peace when you're behind in your mortgage? Got an email from a guy in our church about uh, two, three months ago. And said, I'm, I'm way behind on my mortgage. Pray for me. I think I'm going to lose my house. How do you find peace? How do you find peace when you get laid off and you're unemployed? Got an email just this week from a guy I love in our church, a friend of mine. And he said, pray for me. It was a short email. Pray for me. I just got, fired. I just got laid off. I'm, I'm unemployed. And here he is two weeks before Christmas without a job. How do you find peace in that situation? How do you find peace when you're facing family issues and health issues? Well, again, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. But I do think that we can grow in peace even in the midst of our struggles. And so I'm going to give you some things that will help develop that life, that way of life, that lifestyle of peace. And here's the first one in your outline if you're taking notes today. Peace is grown in the context of knowing your value and worth to God. Knowing. Very important word there. Knowing. Not just giving mental, you know, acknowledgement to it. Not just, yeah, 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 I know I, I, God loves me. But really understanding, knowing deeply that you are loved and cared for and valuable and precious to God. You see, I'm convinced that when we truly understand how much God loves us and how much he cares for us, that it changes us. It provides that environment for peace to be developed. I, when, in your human relationships, when you have a, a confidence in a relationship you've got with your spouse, your parents, your kids, a friend, a coworker, when you really know that you are loved by them and you're accepted by them, and they care about you, and you've been through a lot with them, and, and yet they're still with you, and they care about you, and, and you know, deeply know that they love you and that they care for you. When that's your experience with someone, there's a peace. There's just this, ah, oh, this settledness. 
You don't, you don't stress out about it because you know that they love you and that they care and that they accept you, that you're important to them. Conversely, on the other hand, when you're insecure about a relationship, think about, you know, something in your life, someone, and you're not sure where you stand. Do they like me, let alone love me? I wonder if I said something that offended them. I wonder if I made them mad. When we have that kind of relationship with people around us, then there's no peace. We're stressed out. We worry all the time, and we strive to appease them, and there's no peace at all. Well, if that's true at a human level, and it is, then I want to suggest it's true in our relationship with God. When you know, deeply know that you are loved by him and cared for by him, and that you are priceless to him, that you are valuable to him, that you are worth to Jesus more than his own life, let that sink in. He loves you more than he loved his own life. When you get that, it changes your perspective. It changes your heart. It provides the, the peace that can come from a secure relationship. I know to say that God loves you is almost a cliche. I know that some of you hear things like, God loves me and I'm important to God. It goes in one ear and out the other. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. Heard that, been there, done that. But you know, the reason why I keep coming back to this so often and the reason I will continue to come back to this so often is because I am convinced that when we truly get this, that there will come a peace in our relationship with God that we can't experience any other way. You don't have to earn his favor. You've got it. You don't have to earn his love. You've got it. You don't have to do something. You know, if my son um, came to me and, and said, Dad, you know, uh, all my kids are growing up, but he came to my house and said, Dad, I, I, I want to help you around the house today and, and, and help with anything I can fix for you, anything I can do just to, 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 to help you out. And I, yeah, sure, I've got this, this, I got a, a honey-do list, and here, give me a hand with these things. And about halfway through that, I said, son, why are you doing this? And he said, well, Dad, because I really want to make sure you love me. You know how I'd feel? I'd just go, oh, son, you, you could never, you don't have to do anything. You didn't have to do this to earn my love. I love you. And when we have that experience in our relationship with God, it really does affect our peace. Jesus put it this way in Luke 12. He said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? He's referring to the sacrifices and just buying five sparrows to offer as a, as a sacrifice to God. He said, five sparrows worth a couple pennies. They're cheap. They're nothing by the world standard. He said, and yet not one of them is forgotten by God. According to the world standards, these sparrows are nothing. They're meaningless. They really don't have any value to us. But God says, but, but the, Jesus said, God, he, he, not one of them is forgotten by him. He goes on, he says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, for some of us, those numbers are going lower and lower every day. And that would be me as well. I showered the other day, and I looked down, and I thought, my goodness, I'm going bald. And look. See? Yeah, right? But you know, the, tr the cool thing is, Jesus said, the hairs on my head are numbered. And every time I lose one, God, okay, there's another one, God. The point being, of course, is that he, if he cares about that, then he cares about us. And so Jesus said, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. We don't have to live afraid because we are of great worth and value to God. We, guys, must never forget that we are deeply loved by the Father. And peace can be grown in understanding and experiencing that reality. You have great value to Him. Here's another way we can grow peace, and I'm going to spend the majority of my time here this morning. Number two, peace is grown when you remember to see the end from the beginning. When you remember to see the end from the beginning. Or in other words... Peace is developed when you have an eternal perspective and remember that this life is only temporary. And I know this is really hard to do. We humans live with a, 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 an unbelievable awareness of time. 
We know the day we were born. We celebrate our birthday. And we know that after 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100 years, if we're, you know, we live long and we've got a certain span of time. And we count the days. We've got calendars. We, we, we measure life by time. And everything around us is measured by, by the clock. But in the kingdom of God, with him, it's, it's different. And we're not just to measure time the way we normally do, but to have an eternal perspective. And seeing things such as life through an eternal perspective really makes a difference. Because more than we realize, most of the time, our perspective colors and affects everything about us. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're a Wazoo alumni and you're a Cougar fan. And you are a dyed-in-the-wool, true-blooded Cougar fan. Well, there's a few of you here, I know. It, it, it does not matter to you that the Ducks are going to the Rose Bowl. It does not matter that they are going to be representing the Pac-12 and that they were the Pac-12 champions and that they are, the, uh, from our region, you know, the, a strong team that's going to go and, and do really well in the Rose Bowl. That doesn't matter to you. You will not root for the Ducks because you are a dyed-in-the-wool true Cougar fan. You just, if you do, you'll do it secretly. There's no way you would get all excited about the Ducks at the Rose Bowl. Because you're a Cougar fan, and that colors your perspective. It taints everything about you. It ruins you, because I'm a Duck fan. But anyhow, <laughs> went to Bible school in Eugene. That's all I can say. Okay. Okay, some of you don't care about football. Let me make it more, uh, another example. Let's say that you're shopping at the mall. Yeah. And you go to the store, and uh, you go to look for the stuff you want and you can't find exactly what you want or the right size, and you ask for help, and they're too busy, and they don't care, and they're kind of rude with you, and they kind of, you know, throw you a, you know, a bone, but nothing really to help, helpful. And then you get in this line that's, you know, around the, the, the store. It's 50 feet long, and, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. You get up to the cashier, and, and she's rude and not kind, and, and, and uh, you know, they said, would you like to put that on your Macy card? No, I would not, you know, and then they treat you like you're a dog because you don't want to put it on their Macy card, and, and you know, it just, and you have this horrible experience, and they jam your stuff in a bag, throw it at you, and say, Merry Christmas. You walk out of there going, I am never going back to that store again. Why? Because your experience there tainted your perspective. It doesn't matter that they've got the best price or the best operating hours or whatever. Your experience that time or over time ruined your, your, your view, your perspective of that particular store. Well, here's a helpful little insight I want to give you. Often, we have little or no control over our circumstances. Have you figured that one out yet? Little or almost no control over our circumstances, and yet typically, our perspective is what it is, and it is as a result of what we've experienced. Our perspective typically is based on what we've gone through our experiences. But listen carefully to me. If you're writing notes, take this down. We don't have to be the victim of our circumstances. We don't have to be the victim of our circumstances. In fact, we can control our attitude by shifting our perspective. We can't control our circumstances rarely, if ever. Not a lot I can do about you or stuff or things or the world. But what I can do is I can shift my perspective. I can shift it. And by that I mean I can make a conscious decision to redirect my perspective. I can choose. Yes, that has happened. I'm not denying that happened. I'm not denying that's bad. But I don't have to stay there. I don't have to be a victim of that. I can redirect my perspective from the temporary to the eternal. From the reality that this thing is hard or bad or ugly, mean or whatever it is right now is not going to be my experience forever. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. And whatever it is, it doesn't have to be that way. 
We can shift from the temporary to the eternal. And in doing so, we can experience a radical change in our attitude and in our state of mind. We change our perspective, and then it changes the attitude. David wrote this in Psalm 39, verse 4 to 7. He said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. In other words, if I could insert, give me a different perspective. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand, not very long compared to eternity. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth for someone else to spend. Now that all kind of sounds pretty depressing, except here's where he lands, verse 7. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? In the temporary, in the stuff, in, in me? No. My hope, my only hope is in you. My only hope is in you. David got it. Somewhere along the way, he figured out, you know, this life is short. This life, not always very easy. Things happen. But the fact is, that's not really where my hope is. My hope is in the living God. I have a couple of friends in our church right now. One of them's here this morning in this service, Shauna, and another one uh, that I talked with just on Friday, who are going through uh, chemo right now. And it's hard. Uh, they're battling cancer, and it can be scary, it can be hard, it's certainly not something they like, enjoy, or, or something that's easy. It's just not. But what I am amazed at, and I am constantly amazed at their attitudes, that they have chosen to put their hope in God. Every time I talk to them, I hear it, I see it. And these are people, guys, that are dealing with cancer and going through chemo, which just, it's It's hard. And yet every time I have a conversation with them or see them, I see hope. I hear hope in their voices. Now, they're not in denial, but they are in dependence, and a very big difference between denial and dependence. They are not denying the reality of their circumstances. I am not saying we find peace by just ignoring the stuff that we don't want to see. Not at all. It's not a denial. It's independence on God, on Him. We humans tend to think that peace only comes when things are peachy keen. Let's just be honest. As soon as I get through Christmas, I'll be peaceful. As soon as my kids figure out that they're jerks and they need to grow up, I'll find peace. As soon as my husband stops, fill in the blank, I'll have peace. We tend to believe that peace is dependent on our circumstances. But peace is not contingent upon what is or isn't happening around us. Let me say it again. The kind of peace God wants you to experience and know is not to be dependent, contingent upon what is or isn't happening around you. Peace comes when we train ourselves. And that's why I talked about this being a way of life. Because this isn't easy. And you're going to have to choose now and maybe a hundred times in an hour or a thousand times in a day and over and over again. But it's where we train ourselves to look at life through a different perspective. When we learn to look at life from God's eternal view of things. And peace is grown in an environment of hope in Him. But we put our confidence and our hope in him. I know it's hard to live with chronic pain. I know it's hard to face the giants of financial or relational disappointment. I know it's hard to find peace in the midst of confusion or chaos or dealing with things like chemo. I get that. I know that. But I also know that peace comes when we remember that this life is but a breath in the span of eternity. As hard as it is for you right now, Listen to me, right now is not forever. And I'm not making light or little of the fact that you're struggling or going through a hard time. 
But what we need to understand and what we need to remind ourselves of and remind others around us, as hard as it is, and I ache for you if you're going through a hard time, as hard as right now is, right now is not forever. It doesn't matter if you're getting just devoured by things in this moment and if it lasts for a day, a week, a year, a decade. Because that is just a breath in the span of eternity. And the day is coming when all our tears will be wiped away. When all of our hurt and our sorrow will be gone. And that's eternity that we're going to get to spend. And again, I don't make light of or just say, that's no big deal what I'm going through now, what you're going through now. But we need a change in perspective. Peace is grown when we choose to fix our hope on someone who's bigger than our circumstances. Someone who is bigger than what you're facing right now. And someone who is eternal. And that someone is Jesus. I know. And I've talked with people who are hurt, afraid, confused, even mad at their circumstances. And I've been there. I, I can tell you a dozen stories of where I've been, the same place you're at right now. And I have never, not one time have I told somebody, just grin and bear it. I hate that phrase. I would never do that to anyone. I, I would never tell somebody, make light of their suffering. Because I know that life is hard, really hard sometimes. Life is scary sometimes. Sometimes we feel like we're drowning and we don't know what's going to happen and we don't even want to face another day. I get that. I know that. And that's, not, that's why I am not saying, listen to me. I am not saying, just suck it up, buttercup, get over it. I'm not saying that. I am not saying you just need a better attitude. Do not walk out of here saying, Pastor Kurt said I need a better attitude. Don't say that to your spouse on the way home either. You need a better attitude. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we need a change of perspective. And we need to fix our eyes on the one who has never and will never leave us or forsake us. On the one who is our hope no matter what we face. And that action, when we do that, that leads to a changed attitude. I'm not saying have a better attitude. And we get all focused. I need a better attitude. I need a better attitude. And I've said that to my kids. You probably said it to you. You need a better attitude. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is have a change in your perspective. See God. Fix your eyes on him, the one who's promised to be with you. Change your perspective from the temporary. As, as hard as that temporary is, again, I'm not making light of that, but change it from that to the eternal and see it in the bigger picture of things. Hebrews 13, the writer said, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never. Never. So we say with confidence, not self-confidence, but God-confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now we're thinking, well, man can do a lot. I get, I get hurt by people all the time. I, I did, life is hard. I know. But the writer here, his perspective is completely different. And the one I want to challenge you to have today, it's on the one who is with you no matter what, who will never leave you and forsake you, the one who is your helper, and therefore we do not need to be afraid. Here's a reality that I, I embrace, uh, not because I like it, because it's truth. Life is hard. 2011, I've told you the last couple of weeks, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a happy camper when this year's over. I mean, this has been a really difficult year for me. And for many of you, life is hard. That is a reality, but listen to me. Here is a greater reality, a greater reality. We're not alone. Life is hard, but we don't have to face it on our own. We are not alone. And we can change our perspective. We can change our attitude by looking at the one who's promised to be with us. And that's what we need. And when we change our perspective from the temporary to the eternal, when we fix our eyes on him, 
when we choose to put our hope in him, that's the perspective that will begin, to, again, that provide the soil where we can find and grow peace in our hearts. And again, you, you'll have to go through it time and time and time again. Again, I wish it was just a simple little formula. Do X, Y, and Z, and bingo, 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 you got peace, yay! I wish it were that simple. The truth is, tomorrow, you're going to have to get up and again, choose to focus, focus on him, to fix your eyes on him. Choose to look at the eternal instead of just the temporary. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, and for the rest of our lives, in some level, some way. But that's where this peace can be grown in our soul as we fix our eyes on him. Well, there's one more thing, the third thing I want to cover today. The peace is grown in the context of meaningful connection with God. Or you might put the word there, relationship. Peace is grown. We develop this way of life. We can experience that in the context of meaningful, vital, real, whatever word you want to use, meaningful connection or relationship with God. In fact, let me be very clear about this. You know, we humans attempt to find peace through all sorts of ways, don't we? They're not all bad. I got, you know, I, I remember coming home sometimes and saying, I, when I was quite the runner, I'd say, honey, I got to go for a run because I was stressed. And that can be good. Exercise is good for you. It definitely reduces stress. And I'm not saying that's bad at all. But we, we will try to find peace in so many ways other than the relationship, other than connecting with God. And again, some of them are good. They assist us, and that's okay. Meditation, meditating on the scriptures, worship. I will find myself at peace when I just come into the presence of God. There are a lot of things we can do that might even be good that help us. Some of them aren't good. Sometimes we humans try to find peace through drugs, booze. We try to find peace through getting lost in, in the idiot box and television, just numbing ourselves out with hours and hours of video games. And those aren't good ways, but why do we do that? Well, because in some way we're trying to just escape, get out of the chaos, the mess, withdraw, isolate, insulate, because we're trying to find peace. And here's the deal, and here's what I want you to hear. Our ultimate and meaningful, true and lasting peace is not found in any method or means of our own making. Write it down. I promise you, it is never going to be found, not ultimate, lasting, true, and meaningful peace, is never going to be found in, in any method or means of our own making. It is found first and foremost in a relationship with the Prince of Peace. The one who said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you, if you don't have a relationship with that one, then that doesn't mean a whole lot to you. If you don't get that he is there, right there in the midst, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of what? Death. I know that you're right there with me. You're, you're, you're riding your staff. They comfort me. I know that you're right here. It's relationship. That's where we find the peace. Relationship with Jesus. You know, one of the stories that always amazes me when I read it in the New Testament is the last things that Jesus said to his disciples. And John uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, amazing chapters. If you haven't read them in a while, I encourage you to pull that out this week and spend some time in those chapters. And they're the chapters just prior to the crucifixion. And what you need to know, and this is what amazes me, Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He knew that he was going to Jerusalem, that, he, that when he got there, he knew that he was going to be falsely accused, that he was ultimately going to be hung on a cross, crucified. He understood. And being crucified on a cross is the worst death anyone can experience. Horrible, horrific, terrible. And Jesus knew that that's what was coming. He understood that. And he knew it was going to be difficult for him. Remember in the garden, he cried, oh God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. He understood 
how hard it was going to be. And he knew how difficult it was going to be for the disciples. These guys that he loved, that he poured his life into for three years, he got that they were not going to think this was cool, that they were going to have a really hard time as well. And here in these chapters, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, we see Jesus pouring out his heart. They're really some of his last words. Well, they are his last words just prior to the crucifixion. And in the midst of this, a couple of times he talks about peace. In John 14 and John 16, let me read you a couple of verses. John 14, 27, Jesus looked at these guys and said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. John 16, 33, says, I've told you these things so that in me, very important two words, in me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Where do we get the idea that life's going to be easy? That when I give my life to Jesus, everything will be on, you know, golden streets. I'll be good, I'm great, no problem. I don't know where we got that idea from because Jesus pretty much promised here, prophesied, in this world, guys, you're going to have trouble. But that's not where he finished. He said, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Life is hard. Jesus is saying. But you don't have to fear or be afraid of that. Take heart because I've overcome. And the key words here are in me you'll have peace. In relationship with me. In me you'll find the peace that you need. Now, when the crucifixion happened, you know, many of you know the story. They didn't have a lot of peace and they bolted and bailed and it was pretty ugly. But weeks later, months and years later, in fact, almost to a man, every one of the disciples was martyred for their faith. Ultimately, they gave up their life for Jesus as well. And they knew this peace. They experienced this peace. And it wasn't a peace found in some method, some means, some human thing that they could figure out, do X, Y, and Z, and you know, you got peace. No, it was found in relationship. They lived in relationship with the Prince of Peace. Many years later, Paul wrote these words, and I'll finish with this. It's found in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It's one of my favorite scripture verses in the book of Romans, if not in the New Testament. It's Romans 15, 13. Paul says, and it was really a prayer, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, and there it is, peace, as you trust in him. Having once upon a time wandered far from God, been a prodigal, I I was a renegade far from him. Trying to find peace in all sorts of other things. I, I tried to find peace at the bottom of a tequila bottle, and all I found was a worm. <laughs> tried to find peace by living a fast life, and I had some, I had a fast car, I had Trans Am. It was awesome. <laughs> I tried to find peace in success. I was in banking and thought I could just find my, my peace there. And I struggled, and when I was far from God, I tell you from firsthand experience, that season of my life was the worst season ever. And the last thing I experienced was peace. And I tried to find it, desperately tried to find it in everything else I could until I came back to the point where I realized now peace is only found in one person, and his name is Jesus. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I look around this room and I know there are people here right now that are far from peace. They have lived uh, through some hard days, weeks, maybe a year or more. Some of them dealing with life and death issues. Some of them dealing with relationship things that are way bigger than them. 
Some of them dealing with financial struggles, God, and, and they just don't have an answer. And I, I do not, God, for a second, want them to leave here today feeling shamed or guilted or that I've added more burden to them. What I pray, God, is that right now you'd really simply remind them that peace is found in you and that you're there. You're there, right there in the midst of that valley of the shadow of death. You are right there. And that you're never going to leave them, never going to forsake them. Remind them, God, that you love them and that they're of great value and worth to you. In fact, I pray, Lord, you'd overwhelm them right now, right here. Those sitting in this room, those watching online, I pray, God, that they would be overwhelmed by the love of God for them. That they would see their value and worth to you, even though they may feel worthless right now. Lord, show them how much you love them, how much you care. And then God, as only you can, Holy Spirit, come. Help them to turn their eyes to you. Help them to fix their eyes on you. Help them to see the eternal, not just the temporary. And to see, God, beyond just the, the circumstances that are surrounding their life right now. Jesus, please help them. Be their helper. Maybe you're here today, you've not yet, you haven't begun a life with Christ followers as a child of God. And you've been seeking, investigating, looking into this thing called the Christian faith. And, and you're here today. And you still have questions, perhaps, but you, you get this. God loves you, and you need him. You know you need a Savior. You know you need forgiveness. You know you need a new life. And if that's you and you're here today, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or walk down the aisle or do anything that would single you out. But I, I want you to single out this prayer and make it personal right now for you. As I pray these simple words, if you'll make this your prayer to God, if you'll just say, yes, God, that's me. Oh, God, yes, that's what I want. The instant you do, then you begin your life as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus, as a Christian today. And you enter into new life with him. So make this prayer yours right now. Father, I have sinned against you. I have failed. I need a Savior. I need the Prince of Peace. I need forgiveness. And so I come to you desperate. And I come to you surrendering everything that I have, everything that I am. I surrender to you. And I embrace the cross today. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you for sacrificing your life. Thank you for living now for me. Thank you that in you I can walk free from my past and I can walk in freedom into my future. Thank you for loving me. And right now, I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. Now if that's you, just in your own heart, say, yes, God, that's what I want. That's what I need, Jesus. That's what I want. And the instant you do, the moment you cry out to him, the Bible says you cross from darkness into light. It is, it is a, a miracle of God that you become a child of his. Yeah, lots of things to still figure out, long ways to go and grow. But the instant you give your life to him, you begin your journey as his child. Lord, thank you for those that are making that decision right now. Show them what it means. Seal it in their hearts, God, that today they belong to you, that they're yours. That they've experienced you and that they will know you better as they continue to walk with you from here to eternity. Thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with the last Christmas song, Joy to the World, and sing of his wondrous love. I love this song. Ushers are going to come, and we're going to give. Uh, if you've got uh, that tear-off tab you're visiting, or if you've got a prayer request, now would be time to drop that in the bag. But let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Hey, a couple things before you go. To begin with, if you uh, started your life as a Christ follower today, tell somebody you're going to make their Christmas. It'd be awesome. And we want to walk with you. 
Back on the tables as you leave, there's a package that's for new Christians. It's got a Bible and some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. A couple of things before I go. Don't leave you. One is, if you need prayer, pray to me. Be down front. Communion's available on both sides of the room. We need about 10 people out in the hallway. There's the tables to sign up for a child care. You can serve as a family and go to another service. And one last thing, please encourage you to take extra flyers. Invite them. If you invite them, they might come. If you don't, they probably won't. So please invite your friends. And one last thing. Four o'clock, I'm just giving you a fair warning. Our four o'clock service on Christmas Eve. Now, we got a Christmas Adam on Friday night and three services on Christmas Eve. The four o'clock service will be standing room only. It'll be jammed. So if you're not bringing a friend and you don't need to go to that service, I would encourage you to come to one of the other ones or get here early. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming today.